0: This is Tracks with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Relief, uh,
1: excited, and, you know, I think it, it's now a case of, uh, you know, enjoying the day while we have it today it's a an really exciting day but then trying to put that behind us and focus and get get down to
2: work get down to business you know we don't have a lot of time to really uh revel in this we've, we've got to uh make use of what we have to uh, to make sure that when we arrive at the speedway uh we are clicking and and ready to go and, and ready to uh, do some business Another unusual kind of fun story, I guess. Um, you know, we've, we've been trying for, uh, I, I think, since the day after last year to get back to the 500, and um, lots of twists and turns and, and bumps in the road. Anders, Stefan, Elton, just about everybody, uh, you know, got together with uh, Jay Fry, who I want to thank uh, for his help in this effort. And, and they put it together in kind of record time. Um, we kind of have a propensity for this last minute stuff at the 500, but, uh, but we're thinking that this new uh, collaboration, um, hopefully we, uh, we get a plan together for 2023 and quit this, uh, 11th hour stuff.
1: Then there were 33. Welcome, trackside in the month of May. Nightly, 93.5, 107.5. The fan in Indianapolis. Sam Rumsa is at the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavin is alongside. You are welcome to join in anytime at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cavin on Twitter. That's Don Cusick. So he is one person that you very much have to thank that we no longer have a concern about 33. I think most of us knew it was going to get there, but it was getting, frankly, a little bit worrisome um, because we assumed it would happen but it still has to happen for it to get there. And then Stefan Wilson before that as well. Thanks for joining us on the program. In a little bit, we talk classic cars and more with Ray Evernham, The NASCAR Hall of Famer will be bringing his really cool collection, which includes the 1965 Bronner Hawk driven by Mario Andretti as a rookie in the Indy 500. That's for sale at the Meekin Auction coming up uh, starting, I think, next Friday from the 13th through the 21st at the Indiana State Fairground. So that's coming up in just a little bit, but we've got IndyCar conversations to get to. So, Kurt, um, basics of this deal is what? It is, as we said, a combination of entities to make it happen.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, um, a multicolored, multifaceted program with Don Cusick and Stefan Wilson, uh, led by the organization of Anders Krohn, our good friend, and and not that the others aren't, but We often will will bring Anders into conversation because he's so good, and you've worked with him closely, uh, but he's so good at at dissecting uh, the sport. So that part of the deal comes in with Dragon Speed, which has, and I think this is almost the bigger news in the bunch, is that... Dragon speed, which is, which has been in the Indy 500 a couple of times is really aiming to get back on a program. They were, they were on pace in 2020 showed up at the first race of the season. They were going to participate in half a dozen races and due to the pandemic shutdown and, and all the factors that went into that, they chose not to participate. So Dragon Speed and Elton Julian runs that program. Uh, They're working toward a 2023 program. So I think that's that's really good news. And then you had to have a car. And so A.J. Foyt Racing jumped in and... I thought it was it was well said that those guys are racers and they wanted to see this come together and were willing to play ball to you know loan a car and or lease a car rent a car however you want to phrase it and that car then can can start the Indy 500 in a Dragon Speed slash Don Cusick slash sponsor uh, program and then and then they referenced Jay Fry. and and honestly Jay is. You know been really good inside the paddock and in terms of bringing people together and and getting consensus built and so on, on a number of of issues but this one is is a classic example of Jay kind of connecting all the dots and and working with everybody uh, to get the program put together. so we're 33 cars strong for the May 29th running of the Indianapolis 500 don't expect a 34th. This is, uh, I think an agreement that, uh, and I think we knew that we were going to get to 33 and that's about it. We can debate, you know, how much, how many cars there should be. But, uh, I think until we see the next generation of, of cars and equipment, I guess is a better phrase and, and an extra engine manufacturer, I think this is
1: kind of where we're at somewhere between 33 and 35 cars for the Indy 500. So I mentioned that we should all thank Don Cusick for helping to make sure the field is full. Also give some big thanks to Larry Foyt and AJ Foyt racing. So think well of them because I know this and every team didn't want to mess with this because let's look at it from his perspective. He's got three full-time Indy 500 programs and I think he'd really prefer to leave that car in the barn just in case or just I don't really want to mess with it. We we don't want to add any more, but I'm doing it because somebody needs to. So he's the one. And you mentioned Jay Fry as well, the IndyCar president. He basically has to go around begging everyone. Can can you please enter another car? Okay, if not, can you lease your equipment and was even getting nose On that front, now now maybe A.J. Foyt Racing is making up very well financially out of this, but I'm not sure that's the case. I think this is really one that if he had his choice, if someone else would have come in and said, nope, Larry, you don't have to do it, we're going to lease them a car, or they found one somewhere else, he would have said, fantastic, I'd really rather not mess with it, But so I just wanted to mention that. Thank you to A.J. Foyt Racing for helping to get this done racer.com i wasn't able to listen to the call and we're going to try to get stefan on the show tomorrow i left him alone because i knew he did a lot of interviews and i'm pretty sure at least one of or two of them are really long interviews so we'll just talk to him for 10 minutes or so tomorrow uh when it's settled down so we're not the 14th interview he's done for the day but racer.com wrote that it's the tatiana calderon road course car And some might wonder, well, wait a minute, don't they have other cars? Well, my guess would be the other chassis that they have, they want to go ahead and put at least the one that's the closest to put together in super speedway configuration right now. Uh, Otherwise, you're kind of rebuilding a couple of cars. And that's what Larry told me when when I first kind of just did some deducement and said, he's it when ricardo Junco's told me we're not doing it I, I knew larry was it so i i came and said you know I'm, I'm gonna report something today during the indy 500 test um you know what what can i say and part of that conversation was yes we have uh, spare chassis but it's not all put together and we need parts and things like that so i think that's kind of the consideration there And then I would also assume that the spare chassis they do have, they want to go ahead and make super speedway ready um, in case something goes wrong in practice for one of their three cars. So now Stefan Wilson has to hope that nothing goes wrong with Tatiana Calderon in the GMR Grand Prix. They could do something to fix it, but that would just delay their process a little bit more. Yeah. It's, um, you know,
0: Tatiana is going to, you know, have if she has her issue, it's not going to derail the program, but it certainly would uh, would cast a delay, like you mentioned. And and yeah, thank the world of, of, of what Foyt, Foyt's team did. That was that was really good. And Larry's just, Larry's such a good guy. And so this isn't a big surprise to those of us that follow the sport closely and know him personally. Uh, he, he's a racer. That's that's just the way to describe it.
1: And, and Don Cusick mentioned something along the lines of, I forget the exact wording in that cut we heard, that it came came together really quickly. Well, It came together really quickly and took a year to get done. So, yes, they were working on this since last year, right after the Indy 500. And this was the strangest scenario because they had budget. Don Cusick is all in. He wants to help Stefan Wilson, believes in Stefan Wilson. they I don't know what the number is, if you would consider it a good full budget, but they at least they had more than just a million dollars to go run the Indy 500. They had several million dollars to at least do a partial program. I think they were mentioned as a possibility sharing Ed Carpenter's car until Connor Daly came up with a full budget. Uh, and, and they're doing some sports car racing. That's where they took some of that budget this year. But it it was just the strangest circumstances, as we've detailed. And last fall, a lot of people were thinking 35, 36. Actually, the number people were saying was 40. And we tampered that down pretty quickly to saying, I think it's probably going to be 36. But we still thought in that range. But it was by December when it was, I think, a few of us were, I don't know. You know, we have 32 right now, but from what I'm hearing, I don't know where it's coming from. And part of that was from talking to Stefan is that, yeah, we've got budget, but we can't find a home. We don't have the equipment at this point. So I love this pairing because they can build on this. This is not just renting a ride and being in the same place. Yes, I know they're leasing the car, but... Elton Julian would like to get back in in some form or fashion. So this is a potential seat and an opportunity for them both to grow together in the future. Yeah, I think that's the point. That's, that's what I'm excited about. I mean, I did want a
0: 33rd car, no question about it. I I really have great uh, fondness for, for Stefan and, and uh, you know, his efforts and and what Anders has done that they've, you know, they're really good people to cheer for. And then the dragon speed entry, I mean, spend a little time with Elton Julian and you'll come away impressed with his program in a different sense. And maybe this isn't quite a fair comparison, but there are aspects of him that remind me of Ricardo Junco's. as we've started to get to know Ricardo's program. Just a a fighter. I mean, he has done good things on the sports car program. Maybe that's some of the parallels. He's been able to lead this, this team from sports cars to dipping your toes into IndyCar racing. And... Elton's another guy that you just cheer for. Uh, he's he's got a crew that's that's plucky, I guess you could say, you know, from a from a smaller IndyCar car series program. Uh, he has done things in a very professional manner. And and it is just one of these groups of people that that you'll cheer for. And you really hope that this can grow into an IndyCar team because uh, Dragon Speed's had success, you know, on the global motorsports front. And and you know, therefore, you know, that's, that's another good program you'd like to have, you know, just as an example, uh, the Montoya's ran for them last year, uh, or, or this year, was it this year at Sebring? They're,
1: they're Those, running for them. Montoya ran for them last weekend. So they have yes. an LMP two, two, program. They won the Rolex 24. That was the star car with Devlin D Francesco, Colton Herta, and Pato Ward. And it's, it's, It's sports cars, so it has to be confusing. Uh, The Rolex 24 is not a part of the WeatherTech championship. It's not a point-scoring race. So points started being scored at Sebring, and Montoya, Juan Pablo, is part of the full-season entry, and his son, Sebastian, was the third driver in that event. So Montoya is full-season for them. So that crew is going to have to finish up mid-Ohio on Sunday the 15th. So hopefully the Foyt crew is going to start that process a little bit because I'm pretty sure that sports car race is not Saturday. It's on Sunday, the 15th, at Mid-Ohio, the day after the GMR Grand Prix. So they're not going to get to Indianapolis until – probably till Monday morning because they're going to have to pack up on the 15th and get here. So hopefully the Foyt car is starting the process of converting it on Sunday. Um, Otherwise it's going to have to be done all. This is unfortunately going to be one of those. And luckily they don't have to make the race, but it's going to be really tough for them to be on track on Tuesday morning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I was, yeah, the Rolex win for, for Dragon Speed and, and uh, I was just trying to point out from the Montoya Association, he doesn't just go run for anybody. He's, he's pretty, pretty selective. I was trying to give a perspective of of just how well thought of uh, the Dragon Speed program is in sports car racing. So anyway, uh, it's a team and a group from all sides of the equation that there is some, not only some celebration for the Indy 500, I think that's. An element that's important, but I think the bringing together of three groups of people that are just uh, worth your worth your support, I think, is really cool, and and that's a cool element for me.
1: So it was in nineteen, their first five hundred. Remember, they they outqualified several. They weren't sure. on the bubble this is the year that fernando alonso got bumped the james hinchcliffe almost got bumped again and it was hunkos and kyle kaiser that bumped their way in the field but they started 27th in that race and then it was 2020 was when similar time frame they they needed a, a 33rd entry and i'm sure there was help for them to participate in that race and they came and you know, put things together in a couple of weeks. And hopefully it's a little closer than that this time around, but it is going to be a real thrash. But the point is this is a, a quality program and you know, they can still learn some things. It's, it's not, it's going to be difficult this year and the debate out there would have been, and I know this was debated. So is it worth the investment? If you're Don Cusick and his other partners, is it worth the investment And this is one of those situations why it needed to be 33. Because if it was 34, it was not worth the investment. If you did not know that you were going to make the race, do not spend a dime on this because your chances would be difficult. The only way you might go ahead and gamble is if, say, the 34th was Top Gun, who would be in similar or potentially even worse situation with where they're at trying to find speed. So you might have an even straight-up fight there. But if it was someone else rolling out an extra car, with uh, an existing team, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, so I think that was likely debated a little bit. You know, we didn't, we're not doing this the way we wanted to. We wanted to have this program buttoned up several months ago, but I still think it's worth their while because Stefan doesn't have a ton of experience. Does he have three or four or five hundreds? three three uh he's not had a lot of time in the car i think it greatly helps him that he's running a few sports car races this year first road course racing he's done in a formula car in a decade and and this is not i'm sorry in in a uh professional car in a decade and he's been doing fine he's doing well he's run quick laps in the gtd class but they can grow from this He's going to make the race. The team is going to get some experience. And I also think that the partners will get some love because of the things that we're talking about tonight. We wanted to see the field filled. And if they do anything other than qualify last, great for them. Great for them because they, they shouldn't beat anybody, but they might. Well, keep in
0: mind that even, and you mentioned it, when Ben Hanley drove for Dragon Speed, in 2019, and they 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 didn't even they weren't even in the last row shootout. I mean, they had gotten mm-hmm. up to 27, so they were comfortable in their in their uh, qualification. And you know, there's a lot to be said from from the Cusick Motorsports side. There's a lot to be said for establishing and continuing. I suppose is even a better word for some momentum to staying in the game and. You know, yes, they they may struggle to to beat a lot of the cars that that will be third cars or fourth cars added to this year's field from the established teams, but they're going to learn things. And mm-hmm. Will Phillips is going to lead this program. Will was the technical director at IndyCar. Will's very well thought of. He you know he knows he knows the game. He knows what it takes. And you know that's that's all part of the equation here. Momentum, keeping your name alive, keeping the sponsors engaged, keeping everybody's hopes and and uh, and plans for the future important. And I think certainly on the first weekend, the team's going to get a lot of love. Not just on on shows in depth like this, but I think on the Peacock shows. I think you're going to talk to these guys. Honestly, they're far more interesting given the lateness of their joining the program. They're more interesting than some of the cars that are going to be, you know, 29, 30, 31, 32 from a news value standpoint. I don't mean that, you know, they're they're a better story overall, but just from a news standpoint, because they're new. We've not been talking about them as a firm deal, and, and I think you're going to have a lot of... Uh, you know, writers and, and, and broadcasters want to hear more about their story, how it all came together. And again, that's more of a first week thing, but, but it'll certainly be a, a positive impact if they can, if they can continue to build this thing. And the other thing, keep in mind, I think the last year's Indy 500, uh, you know, they, they walked away with a little disheartenment. you know, Stefan had a spin on pit road and during the race and And they got unfinished business. They want to finish this race and and be in contention, you know, for a strong finish. I don't know what strong finish actually means in this case. But I think if they're within a lap of of the lead
1: car and run all day and beat out, qualify some cars, that's a good showing and and by the way his spin on pit lane was no different than a half a dozen other sure. drivers almost all veteran it was simply because everyone was trying to trick the brakes they were doing the what what do they call it the knockback brake pads to reduce friction and then when you go to use them they don't work they don't well they, they, they don't work sometimes especially if you don't prepare them correctly as you enter the pits. And I think Ryan Hunter Ray and Scott McLaughlin. And uh, I know there were, there were two or three other veteran drivers that have been doing this full time for a long time. Power uh, Sam says, and I wondered if power is one of them. Yep. That's, that's another, here's another reason why I'm excited because it gives me one more chance to try to talk to Mr. Peterman from Seinfeld. I I had that opportunity last year, but we couldn't find airtime for it. So the, uh, the owner of Lola Sport, the the primary sponsor of this car, is John O'Hurley's wife. John O'Hurley is the actor that played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld, and he came to the Indy 500 last year, and uh, Anders Krohn and Stefan set that up. If we could get that on, I thought it would be a nice NBC tie-in, but there's a lot of people asking for airtime on that broadcast. So you don't always get things in there, but that, that will be cool to see them and as that continues to grow. So 33 is now where we're at for the 500. And as we move forward, we'll talk uh, maybe tomorrow night a little bit more about you know just an early look because I think next week we'll be spending a lot of time on the GP and how things stand there uh, looking into that race. You know, Something else I wanted to mention, speaking of the 500, another one-off, we'll see Sage Karam. What's he back? You know, he's still a teenager, basically. And this will be his 10th, 90, 500 coming up believe. this year, I think, either 9th or 10th. I'll see if I can look that up. But I wanted to make note, if people hadn't seen it, uh, the article that Jeff Gluck at The Athletic wrote yesterday uh, about Sage Karam. And it's something – I think there's been a similar story on this before. He's, But I'm not sure that he's really opened up to the extent that he did In this fashion, he's going to race at Pocono in NASCAR in the Xfinity Series this year. That will be the first time he's been back there. Uh, It did not go well for him emotionally because that was the year that Robert Wickens crashed. But he feels and has felt for a long time that this is part of the process, that he needs to race one more time at Pocono. And I'm glad he's going to get an opportunity to do that.
0: So for those that missed the
1: story and
0: don't remember all the connections to it, you alluded to it, but, but didn't quite get it to it. It was his spin and debris off the race car in the race. When the debris came flying through the air, struck Justin Wilson's car uh, before the arrow screen and took, you know, contributed to Justin's uh, passing and sage went back to pocono for a chance to see friends he just went as a spectator and while he was at that race that was the race that robert wickens was injured at the start lap seven i guess the restart of that race he was friends is friends with robert and uh, so it just kind of added and you know kind of another layer of uh of the emotion of what it was like. And, you know, he, he talked about in Jeff Gluck's article about, you know, the, the despair that he has felt, uh, you know, like he could have done something different in, in the crash that uh, contributed to Justin being struck in the head and, You know, people leaving nasty notes to him on social media and and basically the mental stress that's gone into it. Yeah, I've heard him talk about it. So, you know, it wasn't a complete surprise, but it did. This did go deeper. This this really, Mm -hmm. you know, this was not just a one year. Uh, I've got emotions built up inside me. Uh, This has been going on for for many years and I think that's the part, the darkness that comes with that is what really surprised me in this conversation. So I would encourage you to read Jeff's story. Jeff's a terrific writer. He's very good at talking to people and I'm sure Sage just felt comfortable when the question came up and and quite honestly, I kind of got the impression that Sage was ready to talk about it, uh, given they're going back to Pocono in a competitive fashion that He knew the question was coming from somewhere sometime and uh, he chose uh, this opportunity to talk about
1: it. It'll be his ninth 500 by the way, and he's still only 27 years old. I think just turned, yeah, just turned 27 in March. The article mentions that that may have had an impact on him, not getting another opportunity uh, full-time in IndyCar the next year. And, I'm torn on that. I understand why he would see it that way. I guess the difference. Well, the first thing I think is it it still saddens me that there are people in society that behave that way. I, I do not understand this. I love what social media and the internet has brought to us. I am a huge user of Twitter from a news gathering. And it's just the way I read the paper. Now I don't read the paper anymore, but I'm reading what journalists file to their newspaper and still clicking their links and still subscribing to the Indianapolis star. So I can get directly in there. It's just through my Twitter forum. Um, and that's what I most use it for, but I hate the fact that anyone can get to anyone and make their life a little bit more dark and why you would feel the need to tell someone to kill themselves or accuse them. Anyone that has a brain understands that this isn't deliberate. He crashed a race car like everyone that's ever driven a race car before has done and had no control of what happened after that. So my thought of this was um, I I thought or think that most of us in the community – really didn't think that much about Sage Karam because I don't remember any conversation of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was brought up by, you know, I hope Sage is okay, but it was, well, we all understand it's not his fault. It's terrible. It's, it's awful from his perspective, but our thoughts were with the Wilson family because there should be no thought about Sage Karam's involvement in this, but the feeling that that may have hindered and maybe it did with sponsors. Maybe that's part of it too, that nobody once wanted at that time the first Google search of this driver to probably come up and now associate with their company with that incident. I don't know. My my, my instinct is still to say that's probably not it, but I understand how he might feel that way. Well, yeah, I don't I don't have that feeling. Um...
0: You know, Sage's crash. First of all, he's leading the race at Pocono and and putting on maybe the best drive of of his career. And he's, you know, he has a good lead there and it crashes and all the cars come through the crash scene. The last car in the line is probably, what, 15 or 16 places uh, behind the crash scene. And Joseph, or Joseph, Justin had reduced his car speed to like half of where he had been. Uh, on the lap prior to the caution. So it's just such a fluke deal. I mean, nobody blamed Alexander Rossi the other day at Barber for – the the debris striking uh, Elio Castroneves's car. In fact, Elio was was penalized. We've talked we talked a little bit about that, but Elio was actually penalized for for uh, helping to bring out the caution uh, the, or the stoppage uh, during the session. So, you know, nobody's blaming Rossi for that. Nobody that I remember at the time blaming Sage. Although I understand, you know, the hindrance to his career. What I think might be more of a factor is his you know, his sort of, uh, you know, squashed enthusiasm uh, hit the dark place that he was in that didn't didn't really help him. Uh, mm. and, and I think the yeah. sad part of it is and I, I sort of got this from the story that there wasn't enough like support for him. I think your point exactly. I think we were all taking our support and our concern for the Wilson family. Rightly so. But that we didn't acknowledge that there would be some down, some darkness uh, on Sage's part. I mean, we kind of all assumed, you know, Sage didn't really have anything to do with it, other than, you know, he had a crash. Yep. But you know, I think we probably moved on from that element of the story
1: too quickly uh, for Sage's benefit. And a good reminder too. Um, and and. Good on Ed Carpenter for understanding because Ed had been through that before Uh, he he was the one that spun and Paul Dana came around much later on the scene, not right behind him and didn't get his car properly slowed down and hit him. And it was a fatal incident for Paul Dana. In the same way, no one blamed Ed Carpenter for this. And Ed was, you know, and I'm sure there were some dark moments for Ed too, but he was able to navigate that and it's still going strong all of this time later. So good on Ed for doing what he can, because he's, none of us know what to say. Ed's the only one that I'd really kind of want to listen to at that point, or at least he's the number one person I want to listen to at that point about how to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, I was just so trying to look up really quick how how Sage finished that season. I, I I don't remember. It was fairly late in the season. Yeah, it was. I it, you know that's a that's a
0: good uh, point about Ed and and uh, you know again it's just I think I think it's just so natural for everyone in that situation of of Karim's crash to think about you know there was one victim or one victim's family if you will and and that that this happens in life we assume that we know who the victims are and in this case you know sage sage had an element of it as well for for the reason that was his last race of the season yeah i thought it was i didn't i didn't want to say for sure but i thought it might have
1: been it, it was fairly late in the season. It was, it seems like in August in the season, that's when it was – so there, there may have only been one or two more races scheduled, and he was on a partial schedule that, that season anyway in his rookie season with Chip Ganassi. So it, it likely, I think, turned out that he just wasn't scheduled for any more after that. I don't recall him um, declining to race after that. So that's, you know, unfortunately another reason why – we lost a little bit of focus from where Sage was at because it was – well, he's not in the picture right now, and we're also uh, devastated with what the Wilson family is going through at this point. So a little tangent there, but worth, worth your read to think about and spare a good thought for Sage Carum, who is doing very well and had a really great comeback in the Indy 500 last year, driving the back to finish seventh, gets another chance this year and is doing – Some stock car racing as well. Multiple races again this season, I think, in uh, Xfinity. All right. Coming up in a little bit, there's a few things. There's a lot of things, but we're only going to discuss a few things going on in the Formula One world. It will bring us our news of the day. Uh, Bernie Ecclestone has comments. Those are always fun when Bernie offers an opinion on something. A lot of the IndyCar world is in Miami this weekend and more coming up. And we'll talk classic cars, the Mecham Auction. Ray Evernham, the NASCAR Hall of Famer, joins us in just a moment to talk about uh, what he thinks about IndyCar. I'm going to guess he'll bring up Jimmy Johnson and also his collection that is available here in Indianapolis next week. Stay with us. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. Thanks for staying with us as TrackSite continues on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, Kevin Lee, as we continue to talk about what's happening in IndyCar in the month of May. And along with, obviously, everything at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, another tradition in Indianapolis in May is the Mecham Auction at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And it's going to get started at the end of next week, May 13th through the 21st. Dana Mecham's original spring classic. And one of the cool parts of this year's presentation is going to be the Ray Evernham collection of 32 race cars plus an engine and the NASCAR hall of famer joins us right now. Ray, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Month of May, you know, I, we've been watching all the Indy news come across the wire. So really cool. And I'm excited. So I, I, Jimmy Johnson, Indy 500 this year. So, well, let's just start with that then. What,
1: what do you <laughs> think? What do you expect? Especially after you, you saw what he did at Texas in an Indy car.
2: Love it. Love Jimmy and and Chip Ganassi for for what they've done. I admire him. When you look at – here, he's one of the greatest to ever hold a a wheel in a stock car. Petty. Earnhardt Johnson, only people to win seven championships, and anybody that knows Jimmy, how commit, how how, how committed he is. And I can tell you, it's so hard to say. Okay, I'm going to step back where I, I, I am. I am one of the of, of the Mount Rushmore faces of this sport to go where I'm getting my butt kicked on a regular basis by these 21, 22 year old kids on the road course. But when I get to the oval, you know, and on his mind, I'll guarantee you it's been all about winning Indianapolis. And, and I think it's exciting. I think it's one of the most exciting things that have happened behind the scenes in the sport in a long time. You know, again, you, you've got a major, major NASCAR champion going back to be uh here he is an Indy rookie. Yeah.
1: And he's, he's starting from scratch. And what's been amazing is how he has no concerns about how others are viewing this. He has no shame. He admits his shortcomings. Did you see that a few years ago? This is a guy that's fiercely competitive, is used to being up front. Uh, did you ever see that as a possibility from him? And are there very many other world-class drivers that you think would be willing to say, all right, I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to keep trying.
2: Uh, again, it's hard, man. It's, it's hard when, you know, if, if that, that ego, that, that ego is a, a tough deal. But a guy like Jimmy, I think Jimmy's got enough confidence and commitment But deep down inside, he knows he's going to get there. He knows he's got to walk through a little bit of fire, you know, uh, as he did with with his career, you know, he wasn't great in, in in the bush cars right but but he believed in himself and finally he, he gets put in the right situation the right equipment the right car owner right crew chief and boom he he's a superstar in nascar you know in in, in his mid to later 40s now going to be harder to do that at indy but i think people are going to look back and say that guy did a fantastic job. And I, I spent some time with him in Long Beach, went in the truck and talked about his training. And, and he sits there, you know, really studying with with people and engineers and, and whatnot. And, and his commitment honestly amazes me.
1: Yeah. And it's Alex Palo has credited him too, that he sees the work ethic that a seven time champ brings Oh, I better bring it, bring it myself <laughs> as well. You, you mentioned being in Long Beach. I saw you there and chatted with you a little bit. I remember seeing you a few years ago at a Pocono Car race, and it seems like, have I seen you on a practice day at Indy? Have, have you had a chance ever to come to the Indy 500? Most years you're busy
2: working. Well, yeah, you know, I've, I've actually, you know, I've, I've missed it the last couple of years in a row, but there was a, it was probably three or four years in a row that we actually okay. were there for the indy 500 we brought our vintage cars there we, uh, we've actually had the Bronner hawk and the gurney eagle and you know our indy roadster so we, we every year came out for the vintage stuff and then stayed for the 500 uh, it, you know a, a, again knowing mr penske now and and jay fry and, and people like that i've been given really good inside uh, of what goes on and I you know, so I've been very, very fortunate to have watched the Indy 500. Uh have been uh, with the Indy cars. Uh, in the 80s, we did a lot with the IROC series. So we shared with IndyCar at Michigan. And then, you know, we we'd go together at the Mid-Ohio and, and places like that. So I, I'm actually a, a big open wheel fan. My whole plan, you know, you know how your, pl- your plans go. Like my plan was to go Indy car racing. And I ended up over on the stock car side, but everything works
1: out for a reason. As a, from a driver standpoint, because I know you drove uh, coming up, were you looking to become an IndyCar car driver, or are you speaking after you shifted more into the engineering mechanical side of things?
2: My my dream as a as a young boy, growing up, I wanted to drive indie cars. That, yeah. that was my dream. That was the only reason I went to work for Roger Penske because I thought, man, I'm, I'm running this modified at wall stadium. And when Roger sees me, he, um, he's, he's going to be like, you know, he had just, like discovered Rick mirrors his Dune boogie racer and he gets a ride. Roger is going to see me and he's just going to put me in the car. And, uh, never put me in the car. And, and I thank him for that. I, I was kidding him the other day. I said, you probably saved my life not putting me in that car, you know, he, and, but you know, Roger saw something in me management wise. He did let me test the IROC cars uh, a lot, but uh, I never got to drive. Uh, never got to drive the Indy car. And, and as I said, learned a lot about stock cars and about racing and about management and uh, met this kid named Jeff Gordon, who I, I realized that <laughs> I was like, Hey, Wow. Okay. I'm not, there's no way I'm beating that kid. I'll just build his cars.
1: <laughs> Ray Evernham is joining us. Remind me what you were driving at Pocono a few years ago on IndyCar weekend.
2: Uh, we had a thing we call the ghost. It's a car that we just play with. It's a 1936 Chevy, a car I designed, and it's an all around fun car. It's, it's kind of what they call a track attack time attack car. Yep. Uh, it's the car we actually built it and went up pikes peak as rookies <laughs> as rookie we won our classic pikes peak with it we wanted to see if we could get it to go 200 miles per hour on the front straightaway at, at pocono uh, almost got there got about uh, 196 but again 36 chevy body open wheels a little bit too much drag uh the car has won its its class and road races at places like daytona um uh, uh, at india on the indy road course uh, road atlanta vir it, it's uh, a lot of fun wherever we take it it's basically uh a cross between a NASCAR modified, an Indy car, with a thirty-six Chevy body on it. It's about cool. eight hundred and fifty horsepower and makes three thousand pounds of downforce at one hundred and eighty miles an hour. That's a beast. That's a proper yeah. beast.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about what you've got coming to Meekum and start with you. You said at the Broner Hawk, the sixty-five Mario Andretti car. I
2: I'm, didn't know. I'm reaching, turning up my my speaker here because we are getting. A, a heck of a storm. I, I, it's it's uh,
1: crazy. We just had that in Indianapolis a little while ago this afternoon. Wow. It could not have rained oh. any harder. So you're getting it. You're, you're in it's uh, here in now, Carolina, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it moved pretty quickly. Um, I didn't know
2: you had the 65 Mario car. How long have you had that? Oh, wow. So I've had that car in my possession for probably uh, 10 or 11 years now. It, it, it was brought to my attention that it existed while we were doing our television program and did a lot of investigation, made sure it was the right car was not really hacked up, cut up. And I also knew that many of the original parts for that car, when that car came in after the 1965 season, Flint Brawner took the 65 car apart, put new stuff on it, put the 65 stuff away to get ready for 66. And, uh, when, you know, throughout the years after Clint passed away, his nephew Tommy actually had all those parts. So he built a chassis and had many of the original parts from the, the, the true 65 car. So when I when I found the, the frame and, and several other parts, I, I went and found where that replica went. And, and uh, it took a lot of negotiation and, and things, but I was able to buy the car that had many of the original parts on it. And then I got to be friends with Jim McGee, Huh. which is legendary. Yeah. And Jim found more of that car. And since Jim was one of the people that were, who built that car, basically it was, it was Clint Broner, Mario Andretti and Jim McGee. That was the whole team back then. Right. And maybe some, some helpers in and out, but the, Jim helped me authenticate, helped me find locate. And then he assembled that car. He and Steve Panaritas, uh, from from out there in India as well. But Jim led that. And, you know, I, I just don't know how you make it any better. Like, we didn't restore a lot of things. They they cleaned it up, washed the parts, and 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 bolted it together. So, it, you know, we had to do a little bit of welding on the chassis. We had to paint it. But if you look at some of the suspension and some of the body parts, I mean, it, it's not a show queen. You know, these are many of the parts that toured the speedway. And it runs... And, oh, it runs, drives. Mario's driven it for me twice. We had it at the 100th and we had a you know celebration for Mario, but he, yeah, he's driven
1: it twice. That's the Dean Van Line special. So I assume you got a pretty high minimum on that. You're not necessarily letting that get away unless it comes in for the right number, I'm guessing.
2: All right, here's the scary part. Dana and Frank make said, look, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. No reserve. I was like, yeah. oh. so everything's going across the block. Every single, every single one of those cars is going to sell. Well, that
1: said, I don't think you're going to have any problem getting what you expect for a, a minimum to be there because that is as cool as cool. Tell me about some of the others that are going to be there as well. Uh, one of Dan Gurney's cars from 69. Yeah. You know.
2: Dan Dan's Eagle 701, Santa Ana Eagle, designed by Tony Southgate. Um, probably not one of Dan's favorite cars, but he did win some races in it, and he won his last indie race in that car. Uh okay. the car finished second to Mario in 1969. Dan swears he should have won the race, but he had a left-rear shot go bad. And Mario says, no, Mario was gonna win. Love to get those guys <laughs> when, when I used to get them talking about it. But um That car is a beautiful car. Uh, It was restored for me by Walt Goodwin of Race Car Restorations. Uh, Walt and I worked together in the Arc Series. But, you know, Gurney Westlake motor, one of the motors in the rotation from 69 at Indy. Uh, And again, that car was fairly complete because it. Got tied up in a lawsuit. Dan, when Dan Dan was partners with Carol Shelby for a while, and they split. And part of what Shelby took was that car. And he ran it with Danny Young, guys, and Jim McElreath and had Norris Industries uh, on it. I think Jim Malloy was uh, drove it. But then it just disappeared because Elizabeth Taylor's boyfriend got involved somehow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's got a crazy story. And then it sat in a garage in New York for like twenty some years. But that's how these cars can can stay together. So when I found it or when it found me, I should say, all I really had to do was find a correct motor for it. And Walter, uh, really, most of the parts from the original car were there. So there was a little bit of fabrication here and there. Uh, But, you know, again, that's the car that I love to drive. I've driven it around the speedway. Uh, Justin Gurney's driven it because it fits me really well. Let me tell you, it's trying to stuff me in Mario's car. (laughs) very difficult, Uh, but driving Dan Gurney's car, just kind of, it it fits perfectly. And a stock car,
1: the first to go 200 miles per hour in a closed course. You've got that one.
2: First car uh, to average 200 miles per hour in a closed course. uh, Okay. um, Talladega, March of 1970. It's a 1969 Dodge Daytona. That was the prototype for all of the aero development. Uh, It's called DC 93, but it was a car uh, Ray Nichols built chassis. Uh, started life as a Charger 500, got stolen, got found, and they made it into a race car. But it became the the Chrysler development car on which they based the aero work for the Dodge Charger and for the Plymouth Superbird. So pretty pretty interesting car. Uh, That car had been driven by... By Dan Gurney, by Bobby Allison, by Buddy Baker, Charlie Glotz back, uh, uh, Richard Brickhouse. So, uh, uh, again, just a car that really, really big part of NASCAR history and automotive history. And uh, again, a car that for a stock car has many, many, many of the same parts on it that broke that 200 mile per hour barrier that day.
1: For IndyCar fans, what else do you think they'd be really interested in seeing uh, coming up uh, at the fairgrounds? And-
2: well, one of my favorite cars. I've got the Bose Sealfast Number Nine upright built by Luigi Losowski. That uh, um, George Bignati um, owned it. Uh, it. It was the car that, that right before uh, Foyt came on board. You know, guys like Bobby Grimm and Jud Larson drove the car. Jud Larson drove it and, and won with it at Phoenix uh, when Phoenix was dirt, the old Phoenix tracks, uh, You know the. the when the car w- was new, it went to Langhorne and it was in this big fire and they had to rebuild it. You know, really uh, incredible, incredible history. Uh, and the car, that car also ran laps at uh, Daytona. Remember, it was 59 or 60. They ran the Indy cars there. 59, and, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Grimm, Bobby Grimm drove it. So uh, no Indianapolis history. But again, everywhere else, that's when they ran the Roadster so that Bose yep. had that little lay down Roadster and, and then they ran the uprights just about everywhere else. Uh, but I do have I do have one Indy Roadster uh, that was one of the federal engineering fleet driven by Tony Benthausen. Okay. Uh, you know, so, again, I've got some really cool midgets, Curtis midgets and Edmunds midgets. I, I've got way more Indy cars, open wheel cars, midgets, sprints like that than I do stock cars.
1: Now, are you in here at all in May? Will you be in Indy?
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna come in for uh, – I'll be in uh, Mecham the whole time that my cars are getting ready to go. I think I, I arrived there on the 19th, and then I'll bounce back and forth depending on what's going on at Indy and then what's going on here at, at Charlotte. But uh, it, it's great to be able to, you know, as said, hit both places. And I love what Mr. Penske's done at the Speedway. Every time I go there, you know, I see the changes, and he's so excited about – about that. You know, you go in there and you say, here, here's Mr. Penske and all he's telling you about, like, look at this. I fixed up all these toilet paper racks and I got <laughs> big screens and you know, you're like, wow. Okay. Um, as said, Doug Balls and all the folks up there always treat me first class when I come up. Well, when you come to the track, look for somebody with an
1: NBC, mic. We'll, we'll put you on Peacock and talk about this a little bit more, uh, for more information, Meekum.com. I see bidders can get registered early for $200 And that includes admission to all nine auction days, May 13th, starting next Friday, a little more than a week away uh, through the 21st is when this is going on. And what was it? 32 different cars plus an engine from Ray's collection are going to be on the block. Ray, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. And uh, good luck. We'll meet those whatever reserve would have been up there and more, and it'll go really well. Thank you. All right. Well, come, come hang out with me one night over there. We're we're fairly busy, but I would like to come over. I may work on that. Have we'll, we'll you got, have you got a little o'clock. bit going? You got a
2: little bit going on that weekend? <laughs> a little bit, a little
1: bit. That's all right. Better to be busy than the other uh, the other aspect of that. Thanks, Ray. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care, Ray Evernham, the NASCAR Hall of Famer, and the Mecklen Auction coming up in Indianapolis, the 13th through the 21st, the original Spring Classic. Stay with us. We've got more coming up. It's Trackside. We'll see what we have missed next. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. This is Colton Herda and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan it is time for the Indianapolis Speed Drum and Circle City Raceway news of the day. Need more racing this month here in Indy? Look no further than the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speed Drum, powered by Lincoln Tech and Circle City Raceway. Saturday night, the Indianapolis Speed Drum again features family friendly fun, great racing action, and food and free parking, topped off by the Speed Drum's world famous figure eight, and the return of big wheel races for kids ages five and under. It's affordable family entertainment. Adult tickets cost only $10.00. Kids 8 and under are free information available at speeddrum.com. So our news of the day is that the field of 33, uh, at least as an entry list is concerned, is filled with Dragon Speed and Cusick Motorsports and Stefan Wilson. But to do something different, we're trying to always add something we haven't already mentioned. I'll make it this, that Netflix today announced that uh, Drive to Survive would return not only for next year, but also two more years. So can they continue to keep this fresh? Generally, uh, certainly from the racing audience, I think the feeling was it slipped a little bit this year, but my guess is, though, from the non-racing audience, it is still having a major, major impact and is serving its purpose quite well. So run it until it's dry. They'll keep on going with this, and that's our news of the day. And now at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Sprint cars dominate the month of May. And on Sunday the 15th, Jonathan Bird's 410 Sprint Cars headline a full night of action along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley unlimited Snow Company, UMP Modifieds, making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th with Indy Midget Week on June 8th. Find out more at circlecityraceway.com. That's the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway. All right, speaking of Formula One, uh, I mentioned Bernie Ecclestone earlier and and just kind of uh, spreading through Twitter. <laughs> I see, you know, why do we care about what Bernie says? Well, we probably shouldn't, but we obviously all do. I mentioned it, and everyone's commenting on his comments. And with uh, F1 in America in this weekend, his uh, quote, and I apologize. I don't know where it was from originally, but Adam Stern, uh, found the story they're producing Formula one American style, it may well be that it's good because so many stupid things come out of America and everyone's happy, but it wasn't the way I ran things. Um, yeah, we, we understand it wasn't the way that, that he ran things and that's okay. We like Bernie to stir things up every once in a while. And that's all good. Now, an interesting quote, Going a little bit deeper, and, and I am curious to some extent what the European crowd thinks of this. And I saw a story from Chris Medlin at Racer quoting Gunther Steiner, the uh, principal. Is that his role? Whatever. He's the one that runs the Haas F1 team, the quote American team, although they really have virtually no presence in America but he was you know saying there was a lot of pushback from the Europeans how can we have three races in F1 and they kind of forget how big this country is and Miami's nowhere close to Austin and Miami's certainly nowhere close to Vegas and Austin and Vegas aren't even very close but he, he does say you still need to know when to say when and he was asked about Indianapolis and he said I have difficulty seeing Indy I think there's easier things like this one here. You've got a city which wants Formula One. Austin now choose to Formula One. Um, Now going to Vegas, a completely different city again. Indianapolis, the size of the city. It's a lot smaller than all these venues we are doing now. Yeah, there's a space for it, but I don't know also commercially how interesting it is to do there. I don't have this data. I think if we do Vegas next year, three at the moment, as big a country as the U.S. is, you have to solidify what you have got, not just try to do more to do more. We need to get it better and better as well and i agree with him um i think in this current f1 craze a race in indianapolis would do just fine but it would not have the splash that you're seeing this weekend in miami it won't have the splash that you're seeing in vegas because we can't do that even though it's 20 or 30 miles away from fort lauderdale or certainly miami beach it's a little closer to fort lauderdale i'm gonna i think uh, it's 15 miles or so from Fort Lauderdale, but it's just different. And I know we make fun of the painted blue parking lots, you know, and you see those pictures, they actually did a pretty good job. They've raised, they've raised the, uh, floor level to where the boats actually do look like they're submerged in water, unless you're right there next to it. When you see a picture, the the visuals from the copter shots are going to look fantastic. Uh, So, yeah, I know it's a little bit away, but this is the best case scenario, and it looks like they're doing it upright. I don't know how many IndyCar drivers are there because the ones I talked to, not many were going, and the ones going have official roles. I see Callum Eilat is back as a reserve driver for for the weekend with Alfa Romeo. The the McLaren drivers are obviously going to be there. The AutoNation-affiliated drivers, I think Rossi is there. And, uh, I know that Romain Grosjean is there. So fun stuff this weekend. I'm looking forward to watching this weekend as well. And glad we have the weekend off. So IndyCar is not competing with it. And as I've said before, you know, the hope is it can drive IndyCar, do what you can. People are more interested in formula car racing in America. And yes, it's different, but it's not that much different to the casual observer. Clamp onto it as much as you can and make it your advantage. That's all for tonight. We're back tomorrow night at 7 o'clock to wrap up the week as we continue nightly uh, Beyond the Bricks with Jake Query and Mike Thompson coming up in just a moment. For Kurt and Sam Rumsa, podcast up in just a little bit. Thanks for joining us tonight on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.